the reason that I converted to Catholicism was over the issue of NFP. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. This is the second half of the Humana Vitae episode. So if you haven't listened to the first half yet, hit the stop button, go back, and listen to that first. You really have to. I'm not kidding. Okay, I left you with this opening teaser on the last episode. It's Becky Wilson telling us that as a young adult, the first thing that led her to consider the Catholic Church was becoming convinced that contraception wasn't good for people. I was raised in the Protestant faith, and I was talking with a friend of mine who was Catholic, and, and he was asking me, you know, why would I never consider becoming Catholic? And I, I was telling him that, well, the Catholic Church is sort of all or nothing. You have to believe everything they teach or, or, or else. And I'm like, I don't believe everything they teach, so I couldn't possibly ever become Catholic. And he said, well, what's one thing they teach that you don't believe in? And I said, that, that contraception is wrong. I'm like, that's silly. Like, everybody, what's wrong with contraception? And he said, well, if, if you were to change your mind about that, if I could show you why contraception is wrong, why the church teaches it's wrong, would you reconsider, you know, your belief about whether or not Catholicism is true? And I said, well, that's, you know, logical. That seems fair. Sure. Becky is a smart, fair-minded person. She was willing to entertain this crazy idea to humor her friend. And she also respected him and his beliefs enough to take the challenge. So he handed me an article that was printed in, in the magazine First Things. So it was written by a physician named Joseph Stanford, who just sort of outlined in very general terms the problems of contraception and the benefits of natural family planning. And I just remember reading this thing, and it was like my whole world was shattering. And Joseph Stanford's not even Catholic. Just realizing that there's all this stuff I'd never thought about before, like how NFP is, is better for relationships, better for the health of the woman, how contraception is so bad for her health, and all these different benefits. And I'm like, there is so much that I think I know that I don't know. It was like the first domino, and the dominoes started falling like rapidly after that. It totally made me reevaluate my entire worldview. A couple of years after reading that article by a Mormon doctor, Becky entered the Catholic Church. And she's certainly not the only Catholic with this kind of conversion story. Here's Chris Reynolds. My name is Chris Reynolds. I am the executive director of the Couple to Couple League. The Couple to Couple League is an international organization, apostolate, that teaches and supports folks that want to learn and practice uh, natural family planning, or fertility awareness, it's also known. Chris and his wife were friends with another married couple who were Catholic and who really witnessed to their faith in everyday life. And at the time, I was a, uh, a relativistic, secular person. I called myself a pagan because I worshiped the false god called money. And I tried for probably four or five years to talk them, and especially him, out of being part of the church. I did not like the church at all. Wanted nothing to do with it. This other couple practiced natural family planning, and they talked about it. We didn't want children. We were married for eight years, contraceptive for those eight years, and we didn't know any better. You know, sad to say, we were told in marriage prep that it was up to our individual conscience. And when your conscience is informed, or in my case, I didn't really, I don't think I had one. I had ethics, but I didn't have a conscience, not a well-formed one. Then anything can go. 
So we contraceptive for the first eight years of our marriage. We ended up pregnant with our first child. When Chris's wife got pregnant, despite using contraception, things started to shift. Chris had a deep intuition that if he had a child, he had to raise that child in some faith. So he started exploring the options, starting with his friends. I turned to Joe and I asked him, I said, how do I find out the rules and regs of the Catholic Church? Because as I was researching all the Protestant denominations, they kept leading me back to the Catholic Church. That's where they all came from. So I was like, oh, wonderful. And he said, get a catechism and get a Bible. And I didn't know what a catechism was. He sent me to a little religious goods store in, in our town, and I got one, and I got a Bible. And as I started reading it, the first thing I did is I went to the catechism and looked up contraception, looked up abortion, you know, all the social things that I believe were okay. And then in the meantime, we heard the heartbeat of our new baby at, what, 11 weeks. I became pro-life instantly because I was pro-abortion before that. So things were changing quickly in Chris. His friend Joe saw this as an opening. He gave me a copy of Humani Vitae and introduced me to CCL. And I truly believe that this organization saved my marriage because it taught us a different way of living. And when I read Humani Vitae, I went, holy mackerel. Chris's story is a great example of what God can do through faithful Catholic couples. Joe and Maureen, they were the ones who witnessed Christ to us loved us, never judged us, never told me I was, you know, going against the church, never told me I was going to burn in hell or anything else. They just loved us and showed love for each other. And that led us to Christ and coming back to the church. 19 years later, Chris is leading the Couple to Couple League. I, I'm truly amazed at God. And I always joke, I said, if he takes me back, he'll take anybody. Um, because I was not even close. He even had the grace of being part of another person's conversion in a very similar way. There was a young woman named Michelle working in his previous office who asked him one day about NFP. And that young lady, one day I gave her a tape, a cassette tape, if anybody remembers that, Contraception Why Not by Dr. Janet Smith. And she listened to it on the way home one day, and she came in the next day, and she goes, holy mackerel, is this all true? I said, yeah, it is. She goes, I've never been told this. I said, I know, it's sad, but it's true. I bet most of my listeners have heard that tape. I heard it in college and was, well, a bit obsessed with it. It's so convincing and clear. And it was convincing to Michelle, but not so much to her boyfriend. He said it was all propaganda. We're trying to brainwash her and, you know, don't listen to it. Well, God put it on her heart that it was true. And she got off of contraception immediately. Yep. She became Catholic, and she asked Chris to be her sponsor. That young lady today is married, has six beautiful children, and living a very holy life. These are just a few examples of Catholics who were deeply affected by the Church's consistent teaching on procreation. It's not the case that the teaching is an undue burden on couples. So how can we do a better job explaining it? St. John Paul II tells us no marriage preparation begins in childhood with remote preparation. And then in adolescence, we do more proximate preparation, deeper preparation. That's all true and it's good. But in a post-marriage and increasingly post-Christian culture like ours, we've got to do more.
especially if we're going to see any difference on issues like these. This is John Grabowski again from CUA. The church is a field hospital, Pope Francis tells us. So we start by helping people encounter Christ, who's the great physician. And then we equip people to go out and invite others to that same encounter. And we equip our families, even in the midst of their struggles and brokenness, to do that. That has to be where we start. And having encountered Christ, then people are in a position to start to receive a deeper catechesis on what love and what life and what marriage are meant to look like. Evangelization is the key, he says. I think Pope Francis not only gives us the encouragement, he gives us a model for how to do that. He calls it accompaniment. You simply walk with other people. You develop friendships. You share yourself. You share your life with them. And if Christ is really at the center of your life, then part of what you're sharing with your friends is Christ. That's exactly what Becky Wilson and Chris Reynolds and his wife experienced. They had real friends. Friends they shared life with, had deep conversations with, called when they needed help, etc. We have all these technological distractions now that cause us to unlearn how to relate to each other. So it's even more kind of swimming against the tide because we are, we're losing the art of friendship, which is why accompaniment I mean, even that can be countercultural, just sharing yourself and walking with other people and in that context, sharing your faith and your own, the fruit of your own encounter with Christ and what he's done. So if you're a Catholic couple wondering if you're fulfilling your role of missionary discipleship, that would be a great examination of conscience. Are we friends with people? So I think what you can do is take Pope Francis's beautiful commentary on love in Amoris Laetitia chapter four, and read that as an amplification of Humanae Vitae 9 and the qualities of marital love, because really that's what it is. Pope Francis is talking about love within marriage, within the family. Pope Francis, one of the things I think he does really well is help us see that that love is supposed to be true of the Christian life as a whole. It's just instantiated in a unique way in a marriage relationship or in a family. If someone were to say, how would you amplify, how would you further develop what Pope Paul VI gives us on the qualities of marital love and humanae vitae, I would say, I would take Pope Francis and I would put them together so that we have this even more rich and more biblically textured understanding of what love looks like. Chapter 4 of Amoris Laetitia is pretty great, y'all. It's a meditation on love, using the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind. If you read that, you'll be struck again with the fact that really loving another human person, especially your family, is hard. We hear the slogan, love is love is love is love today, and it's not. That's all spiritual. Love is love is love is love. What? No. There's different kinds of love. So the Greeks talked about eros and storge and philia and agape type love. So we have to ask ourselves, what is my relationship to this person? Is this person male or female? How old is this person? If love is love is love is love, we can justify a lot of things, right? So people fall for easy slogans. We need not do that. Here's the line from Amoris number 115. Quote, Trust enables a relationship to be free. It means we do not have to control the other person. 
This freedom, which fosters independence and openness to the world around us and to new experiences, can only enrich and expand relationships. End quote. I took out a couple of things in the middle (laughs) just to shorten it for y'all. That might sound easy, but if you've tried to trust another human being with something that means a lot to you, you know it can be a challenge. So entrusting someone with your life is kind of a big deal. Most people don't understand the church teaching human sexuality. Most people don't understand the church's teaching on marriage. We're inundated by a very hedonistic culture. And so those are a lot of obstacles for the church to wade through. So having a a marriage preparation period, if it's used properly, will help a couple engage in their kind of betrothal so that when they stand before the altar, they know what they're doing and their hearts are ready to meet the challenges that marriage will bring with it with the Lord's help. That's Father Bob Cannon from the Archdiocese for the Military Services who was on episode three on annulments. We can't talk about humana vitae without talking about what marriage is. The idea that contraception is acceptable or even necessary in marriage has everything to do with this question. If marriage is just about affection and self-actualization, okay, yeah, use contraception. But if it's about love, then... Marriage requires self-sacrifice. Marriage requires... You know, the total giving of self, a donation of self to, to the other. It's not always going to be fun. The whole notion of, hey, we're in this together for our salvation, this is a vocation, is rarely ever talked about. Contraception is an enabler. It enables couples not only to withhold their fertility from each other, but to avoid even talking about it, ignoring that sex is how babies are made. And of course, most couples who are having sex before marriage are also using contraception. So it enables that kind of relationship too. One of the biggest issues with couples is cohabitation prior to marriage. And they don't understand how detrimental that is to marriage itself. Because if a person goes into a relationship with, let's try this out, they are subconsciously saying, there's a way out. And that can affect their thinking when it comes to marriage itself. And so if if a person says, well, let's try this, see if it works. You know, marriage isn't like trying on a pair of shoes to see if they fit. A sexual relationship is one of the most powerful relationships that can exist between two people. And if people enter into a sexual relationship prior to marriage, without all the other elements of of relationship in place, what happens is that sexual relationship distorts how deep their relationship really is. And so if they haven't worked on just being friends, shared activities, and enjoying each other's company, and if all they're doing is focusing in on their sexual relationship, after the marriage, they'll turn to their sexual relationship to fix issues and problems in the marriage, and it works just the opposite. I know I'm not the only one who notices this in movies and TV all the time. The characters have had, like, one conversation, and then they're in bed together, and we're all supposed to be like, oh, they're a couple now. How great. They, like, don't know each other at all, people. So women in the past used to teach men, no, I'm worth more than that. 
I'm with more than your raging hormones and getting off or whatever the heck. I am worth your entire life. I am worth, you know, a total gift in marriage. So women used to train men as to what women's value is, and at the same time, their own value, because they're devaluing themselves when they're just putting out to. This is Sister Helena Burns again. The men, again, are not being challenged. The men do not have to change anything in their behavior. They're doing it kind of to protect the women, like, oh, so they won't just be getting pregnant all over the place. Well, why not? Are you saying that men can't change? Are you saying that men are like animals and they can't control themselves? Like, what are we saying here? This is very anti-woman, very anti-feminist, very anti-male in the end. Because, you know, like we said, the masculine and feminine rise and fall together. You can't lift up women and do nothing for men or lift up men and let them impose on women. It has to work out in the male-female relationship where the men need to understand themselves and their bodies, and women have to understand themselves and their bodies and their relationship with men. And it's it's a give and receive, not a give and take, because there's no take in love and marriage. And it requires some work, and it requires self-discipline. Humana Vitae challenges men in a particular way to regulate themselves and their desires out of respect for their wives. Men have got to work on their marriages because it's not just a, a, a turnkey cut-and-dry situation. It is a growing, living relationship, and women will really insist upon that. When you've been practicing chastity and you haven't taken for granted sexual gestures um, and and sexuality and, and sexual intercourse, of course, when you cherish that, when you value that, and you see that it's got this awesome nature it's not just about the moment of pleasure and passion, that this is the worthy gesture that can bring new people into the world. It's easier for you to, to live the, the virtues that you had already been living, you know, once you become married. That's Teresa Natare. Sometimes speakers kind of overstate the case for NFP over contraception by talking about the low divorce rate of NFP couples. Some people say that if you practice natural family planning, you're going to have a low divorce rate. And that is very difficult to prove because the question always is, do these people have the values who are going to study this? So they're in a different category than natural family planning methods on their own, just affecting the um, behavior change. Well, it's like the chicken and the egg. (laughs) What comes first? I would say an educated guess is that if you've got a couple that seriously questions the healthiness on every level of contraception and now they're choosing a natural family planning method where they're going to have to change their behavior on a very basic intimate level, that discipline is going to eventually, I mean, it's a good discipline and it's eventually going to change you. And it will require more communication, and it will require identifying common values and common goals, and not just, oh, we're going to save money to get a car, you know, next year. It's the questions of life goals. And I I would say that's a perfect environment to um, strengthen marriage and to go the distance until death do us part. I'm just throwing that out there. Since the church's teaching does not rely on that kind of evidence, I mean, It's nice and all, but it doesn't determine what's true. Teresa is a single woman, so why does she care so much about natural family planning? 
It's um, wonderful preparation for life, whether you get married or not. I have found not only the facts about fertility and the facts about natural family planning, science and methodology to be useful in my own life, to understand my own body, to understand a woman, her, her moods change because of hormones, the constant fluctuation of hormones. And uh, when you're in the throes of that, to, to look at your own fertility chart and say, oh, I know, I know why I'm feeling a little blue today. You know, my estrogen's dropping and progesterone's coming up or whatever, <laughs> however it works. And because women are so different and respond so differently to their hormones. So it's very useful information. But more importantly, when you're reflecting on the gift of human sexuality and um, understanding why God gave us these feelings and this way of relating to each other, you're better able to be patient uh, with yourself so that you know when to uh, avoid certain situations so that um, you can protect the integrity of yourself as a person and the goods the goods of um, love and marriage you know you don't it, it's easier I think to be chased that's basically what I'm trying to say and that's I have to say also where you start seeing chastity as not something that's oppressive but something that's liberating and if you do feel sexually aroused at different times or you, um, you're ovulating and you're, you're all of a sudden realizing you have no romance in your life or whatever, it helps you put things in perspective and just say, thank you, God, for the gift of being a woman. Thank you, God, for the gift of being a man, you know? I mean, you don't have to act on it. You just kind of say thank you and... And, and you use reason, you know, your, your reason interfaces with all of this and you become more emotionally mature, more sexually mature and better able, I think, to uh, live your life holistically. And understanding Humanae Vitae and John Paul II's Theology of the Body can really help single people to hold on to their standards. So you've got to raise the bar. And if that guy is not willing to step over the bar, the higher bar, you let him go. You do yeah. not want that guy. This young guy came up to me and he said, Sister, I never had a reason not to sleep with my girlfriend. He said, you've just given me nine. And he said, I feel called out as a man. He said this privately to me. He said, I feel called out as a man. If I really love her, I need to step up to the plate and marry her. So what all these voices and I are trying to say is that Humanae Vitae, 50 years ago, affirmed the dignity of men and women and what marriage is called to be. I was searching all my life for answers to a lot of things about what it meant to be a woman. I come from a radical feminist background as well. And so it wasn't until Theology of the Body, when John Paul II gave me permission to be a woman. That's why, I, that's why I'm so grateful to him. He said, all these things that make you different from a man as a woman, body and soul, all your spiritual gifts too, he said, this is good. This is not something that's inferior something to be suppressed. This is beautiful and it's wonderful. Go for it. St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis have all added on to this understanding of love as self-gift. Really, what, what the church is doing is upholding our very high dignity uh, as human beings, saying you deserve true love. You deserve to be loved in your entirety, body and soul, and not just parts of your body, you know, leaving fertility aside, 
but your whole person um, fully up and running, you know. And if you're feeling ambitious and philosophical, pick up the book Love and Responsibility, which JPT wrote when he was a young priest. I wrote a whole blog series on that book on our website, marriageuniqueforareason.org. So check that out and give your brain a little workout. I encourage people to read Love and Responsibility first. Some people call it his philosophy of the body and then read Theology of the Body. And actually, it's a lot easier to read and understand than Theology of the Body. And he says we are body-persons because he never wants us to forget that we are bodies and or to sort of calculate or think about ourselves leaving the body aside. Okay, there's so much more to talk about here, but this isn't the last podcast ever, so I can keep back some of my mountain of material for another day. There will probably be two episodes on NFP, if I can finish them, an episode on pornography that will be in November, and episodes about big families and openness to life. So keep listening and please tell your friends and your enemies too. Why not? If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.